so let me uh, let me just take a moment if I can to um, to share with you some thoughts as we uh, enter into East Core as our um, as our thoughts begin to change as the mode begins to change as we move from the celebration of reading Torah to the celebration of memory. Torah is given in the wilderness to the Israelites. Yes, we're assembled 600,000 Israelites representing generations past, present, and future at the base of Mount Sinai, but we didn't know the significance of that place and that time at that moment. To quote Jacob, God was in that place and we didn't even know it. It may have been Sinai, but it could have been Coquitlam. It was all wilderness to our wandering Jewish ancestors, the original wandering Jews. They huddled as a mass of refugees that had crossed the Sea of Reeds in a harrowing journey that relied on miracle after miracle to arrive just at that moment, and they didn't even know where they were or its ultimate life-altering significance. They were frightened, hungry, homesick, exhausted, and they waited impatiently for what they didn't know. Why are we stopping? The Egyptians will catch up, some said. If we are going to go to the promised land, let's get going already, others cried. Where is Moses? Did he bring us here into the desert to die? Better we should go back to Egypt as slaves. At least we will have full bellies, the Midrash records. Thunder and lightning filled the air. A white fire with black flame, flame issued forth from God's heavenly domain and inscribed the tablets that Moses presented to our ancestors on this very day, so many millennia ago. But were it not for the pomp and the circumstance, the Hollywood special effects, Sinai would have been just another medium-sized mountain in a desert full of medium-sized mountains and hills and sand. Lots and lots of sand. It was the weight of what took place there that made Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai. Otherwise, it was just a rest stop on a seemingly endless journey to a place of salvation and respite we could barely imagine, the stuff of legend, of folktale and folklore. How do you know you have arrived if you don't have any clue where you're going or how you will get there? That, I think, is the very definition of wandering, of being lost, rudderless, and adrift. And we too, we, you and I, we are wandering in the wilderness as well. This pandemic is a desert. It's disorienting. We don't know what lies ahead, which way to turn left or right to stay home or to venture out, to expand the bubble or protect the bubble. We never imagined we would be in this place. Every day seems like the day before. They are long. They are filled with both monotony and tremendous challenge. If something can be both boring and exhausting at the same time, then it's this. We are waiting for a sign. Not unlike our biblical ancestors standing, looking up at the crackling heavens, we look out at our flickering screens, combing through the data and the reports. The curve is flattening. They may even be flat, but it could spike. The virus is out there. It's lurking, searching for hosts. Will it find us before humanity finds a cure? We are waiting for deliverance, salvation in the form of a treatment, a vaccine. They tell us it will take time. And they always say that. Time heals, they say. 
All we have is time, and yet a clock is ticking and we feel time is running out. We want desperately for this anxiety to end, for life to go back to normal, but it's not in our control. So little is in our control anymore, we feel so alone and helpless. Everyone we know is having the same experience that we are having, yet we are each so isolated from each other. It's as though we are the only ones in the world feeling what we are feeling right now, when perhaps in truth in our lifetime, humanity has never been more alike in what is happening in each of our homes than it is right now. These feelings and emotions are not foreign to those in this virtual sanctuary, this holy space this morning. We know this uncertainty. We know this anxiety. It is painfully familiar. We felt it when they died. We gather here to say Kaddish for our loved ones. We on this morning of Yeskor are in the midst of our own wilderness, wandering as we have been for as much as a year or for many for years, in the uncertainty that is life without our husband, our wife, our parent, our child, a sibling, a dear friend. We have been, at moments, as lost as our ancestors standing at the base of what was then a nameless mountain in a nameless desert. We have been looking for signs of salvation, indications that our nightmare will be over, that we would emerge from this purgatory of the soul and go back to life as we enjoyed it and remembered it before they, and life as we knew it, was ripped from our hearts. We had such plans, and none of them, none of them involved life without those that we remember today, that we remember every day. Even when we knew it was possible, inevitable, because no one lives forever. Nothing is guaranteed. We know that. But we could not imagine what this would really be like. What it is really like. It's real. And we are utterly unprepared. Is that so different from our experience of this pandemic? From our ancestors as they stood at the base of that mountain? How do you prepare for what you can't begin to imagine? So... What can a revelation on a mountain thousands of years ago and a global pandemic with no end in sight teach us about memory and mourning for our loved ones on this Yiskor day? In Judaism, answers come in threes. And so here's three. Time in and of itself doesn't heal. Time is just that. It's time. It's a period for us to work through the stages of our grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. They are not linear. We will go back and forth and forth and back between them. And we need time. We need time to journey in that wilderness of emotion. It's not time that heals. It's the work that we do with that gift of time. The schlepping through those valid, complicated, conflicting emotions that ultimately quiets our restless soul and heals our broken heart. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. We feel the same way about the pandemic. Our ancestors most certainly felt the same way about their suffering and slavery, and those feelings were clearly present still as they stood at the mountain waiting for a miracle that seemed forever delayed, a sign from God that their suffering would finally be over. 
And secondly, miracles do happen. Counting on a miracle is no more a strategy for coping with death of a loved one than it is in battling a pandemic. But people can do miraculous things, unimaginable and unexplainable things. We have a well inside each of us. It may seem empty right now, depleted by our loss, but it is still there. It draws its waters from the wells of strength and support that surround us, our friends and our loved ones. When we ask for help, when we let another share their emotional resources with us, we are more than we imagined we could be in the moment. The wellspring of others replenishes our spirit. It gives us that extra bit that we need to push through the tough parts, to climb the mountain. When you do something that you didn't think you were capable of doing, isn't that miraculous? Is it any less a miracle that you could not do it without the help of others? Maybe it's their help that makes that even a greater miracle still. There may be within some scientist somewhere an insight from their well of knowledge that will lead us to a cure. But I think it's going to take many wells of knowledge and many scientists. Scientists practice in collaboration, not isolation. Likewise, if we collaborate in our grief, we will be a source of miracles for each other. And we know this to be true because we have experienced those miracles for each other and we have been those miracles to each other. We are standing at Sinai. This, right here, this is the place where we hear that still small voice that speaks to us from the heavens. The world is on pause right now. The streets are quiet. The noise of life is softer. In our isolation, we have been given, given the blessing of quietude. Look around you. See how easy it was to just stop all that we were doing, to stay home, to be present. I've said it before, I know to you, we must let life-changing events be life-changing. You have been standing at Mount Sinai all along, but we were running around so much that we never appreciated it. We didn't notice it. Notice it now. You were at Sinai. In the Jewish rites and rituals of mourning, our tradition teaches that we have to stay home, literally to sit low to the ground and listen, to listen to the voice of memory of our loved ones before it becomes too distant to hear, before the soul fully ascends to heaven. In the place that we are right now, in your home, that has been your shelter and maybe your confinement for three months or more now, you have made it a holy place because your life is being lived there. Nearly every facet of our daily existence exists within those walls, within these sidewalks. We are at Sinai. The thunder will dissipate. The lightning will recede. Moses will come down from the mountain. And just like at the end of Shiva, it will be time to go, to leave the house, to re-enter the world. But you leave Sinai. It doesn't leave you. You leave the Shiva house, but what you learned while sitting there, you know this because you are doing it already. You carry it with you. Life doesn't go back to normal. We go back to life, having been to the mountain, having been changed by the experience. 
The oldest prayer in any tradition in any religion is the same. God, please, can I please just have what I once had before? Amen. It's the oldest prayer. We said it when our loved one died. We will say it over parts of this pandemic when it ends. I know we will. There are things about this experience, even the experience of being in acute grief and sorrow, that are gifts, that are blessings. Insights into our soul, glimpses of the miracle of friendship, the blessing of time, to take the time, to do the work, to mend the soul. We will miss them when they are gone. But if we appreciate them now, then when it's time to leave, we will carry them with us. They will help us along our journey in the wilderness. Because we are always just steps away from entering the wilderness again. But we have been here before, and we know the way. Kenihiratson, may it be God's will. It is our prayer. Amen.